welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We're going to begin a nine-week journey, longest series I've ever done. Are you ready? That's good, because it's coming. We're going to spend nine weeks hearing from the prophets, the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures. They are not always easy to hear. Rarely are they, which is why we hear about them, because usually they were chased or hunted down or beat or something, killed. But we're going to hear from five prophets through the lectionary readings, and then we're going to focus on what they had to say, what it meant, and then what it means. We are going to be challenged. We're going to be uncomfortable. Are you ready? Yeah, that's an honest answer. But we will find encouragement. We will find hope. And we're going to find a renewed vision for the journey that is ahead of us as a congregation, as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, as United Methodists. And are you ready to be pushed to the margins a bit? That's the idea of the title, Prophet Margins. Because the prophets lived on the margins, lived in the margins. They're going to have some hard truths, but we'll be ready. Before we do, let's take a breath and pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for that which was carried on through story for so long, eventually written down and now passed from person to person, generation to generation. I thank you for originally speaking to your prophets and the prophets to the people and the struggles that ensued. But here we are, ready to engage their words and their call once more. So be with us. Help us to embrace the discomfort. Because we do seek to grow, and growth usually causes discomfort before it causes great hope and joy. So Lord, may your life come. Bless what has been prepared. Speak through me in spite of me. And let us hear you in spite of ourselves. May our hearing, our embodying, carrying forth, may it be pleasing and acceptable to your sight, Lord, you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We talked about Elijah last week. I kind of cheated. We got started a little bit early, but this week's about Elisha. Elisha. He was a prophet called by God, appointed by Elijah. You probably remember in the text last week that he was told by God, appoint a king and a king and then appoint prophets, anoint rather. Never anointed Elisha, but we know what he meant. Elisha did a great many things and one of the most entertaining passages in all of scripture and just to be who I am when people say, what's your favorite passage? I say, Second Kings, the last paragraph. So you can look that up and enjoy that later. Um, But this story we're going to focus on from chapter 5 is of particular note, and to be honest, it's a story that is a political nightmare. Yay, we love that. The Arameans, the people of Aram, they had invaded and defeated Israel not too many years before this story. And this story is about the commander of that army now coming back to Israel to seek healing from Elisha. We don't even see Elisha in the lectionary passage today. He just sends words through other people. So he's in the margins and out of sight. 
but still, God is at work. And so we, we're going to hear the story of this mighty commander, a paranoid king, and then some lowly servants who offer a voice of faith and obedience and eventually healing. So let's hear from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, a general for the king of Aram, was a great man and highly regarded by his master because through him in the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was a mighty warrior, but he had a skin disease. Now Aramean raiding parties had gone out and captured a young girl from the land of Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master could come before the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the young girl from the land of Israel had said. Then Aram's king said, Go ahead, I will send a letter to Israel's king. So Naaman left. He took along ten kikers of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. He brought the letter to Israel's king. It read, Along with this letter, I am sending you my servant Naaman, Naaman, so you can cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he ripped his clothes. He said, What? Am I God to hand out death and life? But this king writes me, asking me to cure someone of his skin disease. You must realize that he wants to start a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that Israel's king had ripped his clothes, he sent word to the king. Why did you rip your clothes? Let the man come to me. Then he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. Naaman arrived with his horses and chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger who said, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and become clean. But Naaman went away in anger. He said, I thought for sure that he'd come out Stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the bad spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't the rivers in Damascus and the Abana and the Farpar better than all Israel's waters? Couldn't I wash in them and get clean? So he turned away and proceeded to leave in anger. Naaman's servants came up to him and spoke to him. Our father, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? All he said to you was, wash and become clean. So Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. His skin was restored like that of a young boy, and he became clean. The word of God for in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. The mighty commander of a powerful army conflicted with a skin disease. Despite the great fortune and blessing that he had received in battle and in leadership, Scripture tells us, isn't that great? I love that the Jewish people are like, oh, we got defeated. Well, that was God's doing. Not them, that was God. If they win, that was God's doing. I wonder what would it look like if we heard that in our land. Defeat or victory, it must be how things were supposed to be. We offer it one way, don't we? It's okay to laugh at it. 
It's okay to laugh at, at us. Despite the great fortune he'd received through God, he is helpless to illness because we're all helpless to illness when it comes. No amount of fortune or power can do anything about that. But a young Israelite girl taken captives by the Arameans. So think about that. Taken from her home, forced to serve. Here she is in the home of the commander. And she sees his affliction and has compassion enough to say, I know who could heal you. This young girl who has seen far more than she should have at that point. Um, she's dealt terrible circumstances beyond her control. She has compassion. She also has faith in Elisha. And I got to wonder, how did she know? Had she met Elisha? Did her parents tell her about Elisha? How did she know that God could work healing through Elisha? We don't know that part of the story. We just know she knew. So she tells Naaman, go. It's mighty commander is told by his servant what to do. A young girl, no value in their system, a foreign girl at that, and he goes. I don't know how long Naaman thought about it and wondered. I'm Naaman. This is Aram. I'm supposed to go to Israel? At the word of, did he wrestle with his pride? Did he lose sleep thinking about whether he should try it out? Did he approach his king seeking permission and with a little anxiety at what the king's response was going to be? Or maybe he didn't care about that because he tried everything else. Maybe he was just desperate and didn't care about the politics of the situation because maybe there was hope and he'd exhausted every other means, so why not try how many of us have been there or know someone who has? The king of Aram not only granted permission, but sent him with all sorts of goodies. The silver and changes of clothes, they weren't for Naaman. They were for the king. They were a gift, a token. So Naaman followed political etiquette, went to the king and said, I have come to receive healing. Doesn't say anything about Elisha or a prophet. And so he gives the gifts and the king stands up, whose father had been defeated by Aram, now stands and sees this as a threat, sees this as a game. I fail at this, now they have cause to come and invade us. And so he stands up and rips his clothes, right? Could he believe that the commander came in humility and, and honestly seeking healing? Could he believe that he was supposed to do anything about it? This great king cowered in the opportunity to have great faith. So with paranoia, he rips his clothes. But Elisha sends word. Doesn't come himself. He sends a letter, which I think is hilarious. Just write a little letter. Comfort the poor king. He says, I can heal him. Send him to me. Naaman does. Now, when they say horses and chariots, picture Apache helicopters and tanks because that is the equivalent of the strength in that day. So Naaman comes walking up with tanks and Apache helicopters behind him and stands in front of Elisha's residence. Elisha doesn't come out. He sends somebody else. Hey, you go tell him. Go tell him I said go wash. You can imagine that Naaman might have uh, been a little frustrated. So no greeting, no grand production. What, what's going on? So he storms off like a child, behaves like Israel's king, so focused on his own expectation 
that he misses the opportunity at hand. Basically, he says, my rivers are better than yours. I'm not getting in your dirty rivers. But then a servant, again, a lowly servant, an attendant, approaches him and says, Father, which is an interesting address. Father, maybe, maybe you just try it. You came all this way. Maybe give it a try. Somehow, Naaman hears the word of his servant and enters into the waters. I don't know why. Do you think he was embarrassed to do what he did? Was he embarrassed as he removed his outer garments and went to the lowly Jordan River? Did he arrange a time when no one was watching? Did he roll down past any cities or villages to make sure he was out of sight? Did he look over his shoulder as he went into the water, wondering who might see the mighty Naaman? Did he think about stopping after four washes? That's what I wonder. After four, nothing's happening. Seriously, i got to keep going. Three more. We don't know. What we do know is he went in seven times, and he was healed so that his skin looked a lot like the girl who had sent him on this journey in the first place. Now, the lectionary ends with he was cleaned. But the next verse, I think, is worth hearing. The next verse says, Naaman returned to the man of God with all his attendants, his tanks, his helicopters. He came and stood before Elisha. Now Elisha's there. And he said, now I know for certain there's no God anywhere except in Israel. No God anywhere on earth except Israel. Elisha finally enters the scene, but only after Naaman had been ritually purified in the waters, maybe? Did he need him to be washed seven times in Israel's water before he could stand in his presence? That would uh, make the social distancing a little easier to tolerate. We don't know why then. But what we do know is that Naaman found faith in the God of Israel alone. And the text goes on to say that Naaman abandoned all allegiance to the gods of his homeland. And he wanted to take dirt from Israel back so he could kneel on Israel's soil and worship Israel's God alone. And he even asked for forgiveness when he ushered in the king to bow down before their God, an Aram. And he said, I have to bow down because I have to help him. But I know who God is. His faith was a little immature, a little simple, thinking that it mattered if he had dirt from Israel, thinking that God was going to be mad if in his heart he thought one thing, but on the outside did another. Elisha sends him home in right relationship with God. Go in peace, he says. He didn't, he didn't make him jump through any particular hoops. He didn't make him get circumcised. He didn't have him do anything. He accepted his faith as it was and said, go in peace. Elisha held social power over Naaman because he had brought this healing. Naaman's trying to give him things. And Elisha says, no. No, that's not how it works. Elisha's not about power. He's not about politicking. He's not about self-gain. Elisha is a person of God, a prophet, content to work from the sidelines, out of sight even, doesn't need his name, doesn't need to be seen. He just wants to offer healing and compassion and grace and peace even to the commander of the enemy's army. What do you think his neighbors thought? Probably please him so that these tanks and things don't turn on us, right? God worked through Elisha for Naaman, and it was a miracle. Jesus even uses this story when speaking to the people of Nazareth, because in Nazareth, they're thinking, oh, you've you've come, you're one of us, you're going to bless us. This is going to be great. And Jesus says, oh, hold on. God worked through Elisha for Naaman, the Gentile, 
the enemy's commander. God worked through Elijah for a widow of another land. Don't think I've come here to bless you all. I've come here to teach you how to be the blessing for everyone else. So they tried to kill Jesus, throw him off a cliff for saying that. I told you this story is a political nightmare. Some say that Naaman came to healing through the simple act of obedience. Wash and be clean seven times he did, it was done. I say that's true, but there's so much more to the story than him getting in the water. Because first he had to hear the words of the captive servant. He had to approach his king with a strange request. He had to approach Israel's king and endure the paranoid response. He then had to approach Elisha, go somewhere else, and then be disappointed with the lack of grandeur. He had to then listen to his attendants who coaxed him out of his anger into, into obedience. And then he entered the water. Was it the water that brought him to faith? I wonder. Was it the clean skin? Or was the whole process humbling for him? Did he already have faith when he entered the waters? Did he know somehow, God speaking to the most unexpected people, did he know before he entered? What kept him going through each step of that process? Did he pray to God? We don't know. It's a miracle because he showed up. He persisted. And maybe he had run out of options. And, you know, being a commander of the enemy army, I'm sure his health care was pretty good compared to the average person. I'm sure he tried a hundred other options before this girl's word of hope reached his ears. Maybe he'd stood before other healers who waved their hands and made a spectacular show only for nothing to happen. Sometimes it takes us being completely helpless and ready for the unexpected to be ready for the unexpected. Amen? Why is that? Why do we do that? We're just as proud as Naaman, aren't we? I am. I'll say that. You can join me if you'd like. I'm just as proud as Naaman many times. I expect things to be certain ways. I expect certain pomp and circumstance at times, right? I don't want to be talked down to especially when I'm a pastor. Sometimes I'm like, come on, I'm your pastor. You don't have to talk to me like that. That never happens, by the way. Don't we criticize when the right things haven't been honored the right way? We often show up in the moment with our own ideals and preconceived notions, and then everything's got to measure up to that, or we're upset. Would you have turned back if you were Naaman at any point in this story? Honestly. Would you listen to the insignificant, powerless foreigner? Would you discount her insight? She's just a girl. She, she's the equivalent to their millennial, right? Put it that way. Would you let people around you know that you were following her lead? Where are you going, Naaman? Well, my servant girl told me. Would you even approach your enemy and ask for permission? Would you kneel before a king of a people you'd defeated? Would you then make the extra trip when the, when the king says, I'm not going to help you? Now you got to go somewhere else to the house of a prophet. Would you go? Would you accept the instruction, not from the prophet, but from the servant? Would you forego pride and try it seven times? If you'd heard Jesus lift this up as, as an example of what God was doing in and through him, would you have joined in trying to throw him off the cliff? Where would you have drawn the line? It's a good question to ask. This 
is our discomfort for the week? Where would you have drawn the line? I've struggled with this kinds of questions in my life, and I have to ask, where do I draw the line? Not where would I, where do I draw the line? Where do I draw the line with others? Where do I say, that's asking too much? At what point does my egocentrism, only seeing things through my own perspective, and my entitlement win out over simple faith? The good news is, there's good news, always good news. God sends us hope even before we're ready for it. Amen? God sees us with eyes of compassion long before we realize maybe when we're not willing to do that ourselves. Amen? God offers us all the opportunity to wash and be clean from ourselves so often in the most unexpected ways. Amen? We enter into baptism as an act of obedience, but the work of sanctification only begins. How many times have you said no to yourself in the lifelong process in the pursuit of perfection? How many times lessons have you learned and thought, oh man, I did it again. Still have more growth. Thank you, Mike, raising your hand, confessing with me. How many times has the Holy Spirit confronted you with simple instructions that were really hard to follow? Maybe it was, apologize. I know you're right, but apologize anyway. Be in relationship more than be right. How many times already have you said yes to the Spirit's leading when it involves saying no to your pride? How many times have you said yes to the Spirit's leading when it was saying no to your expectations and preconceived notions? If you can think of moments like that, you're like, yeah, that's happened. Take heart, because you are following the path of Jesus Christ. You're not perfect, but we're headed there. If you can think of a moment right now where you have received the invitation to say yes by saying no to yourself, have faith in God, friend. If you're struggling with it, have faith. Sometimes it's a journey, but you may wash be clean. God looks upon you with compassion. God sends you hope, and maybe this compassion and hope comes through the humble word of an unexpected voice in your life. Heed the call. Don't let pride and ego and expectation stand in the way of your healing. Carry on like Naaman. If he becomes someone you look up to in this story, be the word of hope like the servant girl or the attendants or Elisha for others. It doesn't matter If you have everything figured out, Naaman didn't, it didn't matter. Have faith in God. You don't have to have the answers. You only need faith. You'll have more time to work that out with the Holy Spirit, I promise you. Just go and say, yes. Enter into the waters of baptism in Jesus Christ or continue to live in those waters. Wash and be clean. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 